Today we have a, a pretty we have a pretty special show because there was a really cool study that was released not too long ago. Both of us posted about it, this Amish Amish study. But we want to get a little deeper because I, I don't want to like just talk about the Amish people. I think they're great. Um, I used to, as a kid, just as a little story, um, up in my grandparents' cabin, we used to take Amish rides where we would go watch Amish people. And in retrospect, it sounds really weird and kind of creepy, um, sort of treating people like zoo animals or something growing up. But in a lot of sense, I, it, it was, it was, I was just a thing. I might as well be honest. Like it was a thing we did all the time when I would go up there, we'd go watch Amish people. It was really strange, but I really admire now, now that we know all this stuff um, that me and you do and our health experiences, I, I, I look at their way of life in a completely different light than I did as a kid. Because as a kid, you're like, okay, why, why would you choose to live this way? But every day I seemingly want to get closer to that way of living, maybe with less clothes on, but, but, but seemingly more that way. I'm sure you feel similar. Yeah. I was just telling my sister who my sister went to her first few years of college in like rural Pennsylvania. So she actually has a lot of experience probably more than me, more than most people with Yamash. So we were chatting a bit about it. And uh, I was like, yeah, uh, I feel like every year that goes by, I mean, getting closer to the Amish and further from like the normal average city, modern society person. And I feel like I'm actually might be closer to the Amish, but this doesn't mean that we're trying to be like the Amish. So I think that's the whole point, but yeah, we, we decided to talk about this because yeah, a couple of posts uh, we had, the one I had was like, just blew up a little bit and I think it's funny because people just, yeah, they get hung up on the Amish themselves and the whole, uh, you know, vaccines and COVID. But, but really, that's not, that's not the point here. And uh, that's what we want to dive into a little bit is, you know, what the Amish do right. And that's kind of like the whole natural uh, living thing. But they do a lot of things wrong, too. And they're pretty hardcore. You know, they'll literally shun you if you leave their cult or their religion or their society, whatever you want to call it. It's OK. It doesn't really matter because we're we're not a part of that. We're not trying to join that. But we're just looking at them. And as one person, actually, the doctor who, who put together the study and was was testifying in Cong or in the Pennsylvania State Senate refers to them as the perfect placebo group, which is very true. And uh, so what can we learn from such a, you know, archaic in this modern sense, uh, I guess, perspective way of living that they still, you know, have every day. So this would kind of stem from and, and yeah, the, the stuff I posted, it really didn't have good links to what study this was referencing. And again, I apologize. I'm not really trying to prove here that like vaccines do or do not work. I don't really care um, as much as some other people. That's not on my top agenda to talk about, but has become very prevalent. And, you know, if you want to go listen to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talk about it, I think you'll learn a lot of things. But this doctor, Steve Kirsch, is testifying in the Pennsylvania State Senate. Um, he surveyed the parents of 10,000 uh, kids and he, he basically was, was trying to map uh, the number of vaccinations to, you know, common chronic neurologic, neurological diseases. And he found, obviously, a very strong correlation to, you know, the more vaccines, the more conditions you have. So that was where this all stemmed from. And again, 
he kind of used the Amish as like an example saying that, you know, there actually is a population in society that doesn't have uh, any vaccines or any, you know, other interventions from the medical side of things, which is pretty rare. And uh, he used that as kind of a foundation to can try and convince the Senate in Pennsylvania that there should be more questioning about the efficacy and safety of vaccines. In, in my mind, it's not so much a battle of, of take vaccines, don't take vaccines, anti-vax, pro-vax. I, I think that misses the point of the entire, of, of the overall discussion. And that's more so what you and I talk about on the podcast a lot is really learning to think for yourself, really learning to question things you hear, even from us, our guests on the podcast, but to have that sort of critical thinking skill that I don't think is well taught in, in a modern, uh, our modern education system, at least in the US. And I think that we take too much on both sides, no matter what side you're on, we take too much verbatim what we like to hear from people or we read titles of articles and we take that entirely. We don't actually read the scientific article. We don't read the study. We don't read who the study was funded from. Um, all these nuances. And so the bigger the bigger thing at play is we really just want you guys to think about stuff and not just take our word for it. But I think going to just medication in general, I can't imagine that there isn't any sort of, there's, there's always going to be a negative downstream effect to something. I, I can't imagine that there's no negative downstream effect for any medication. That's been proven time and time again, even by the own FDA, which over time has taken sort of drugs out of, out of, circulation and stuff like that over time. So the the real thing that people need to consider is just questioning science, not saying that science is wrong, but that's how science and good science is created is through constant debate. And that is something that Robert F. Kennedy talks about. And a lot of those podcasts is less so I'm anti this, anti whatever, but I'm questioning the science, because there's all this stuff that's still missing that we aren't talking about. And that's because we're so afraid of questioning in general. So that's just my thought. No, and, and if you, you know, go back to RFK, like there actually is research like on both sides, typically that, you know, the side that is lesser so, um, you know, favorable for the party of interest, which is, you know, the mainstream perspective um, due to a monetary um, reason you know, they just get swept under the rug. So, you know, like EMFs, like there's thousands and thousands of studies showing the harmful effects of non-native electromagnetic fields. Um, and that's what he talked about as well. And there are some, uh, you know, just from like looking at some of these uh, blogs and like this guy's, the doctor's uh, newsletter where he's kind of talking about this study and there's a lot of people linking all these studies uh, in the comments and, and you can go check them out. But yeah, there's there's definitely some stuff on both sides, but you're only going to hear what they want you to hear. So at the end of the day, you need to be empowered enough to go do your own research, read these. Half of these studies might be nonsense on both sides. Like you don't know. You have to go, like you're saying, see who funded them. Um, see, you know, was it an actually well done uh, research experiment or is it kind of observational correlation? Um, survey studies and 
make your own conclusion. What is the risk worth to you? Um, is it, you know, very low, high ROI? That's with everything. You know, we, we just released a podcast, you know, with Noah Ryan, and he talks a lot about that uh, in terms of supplementation, which was great because, you know, again, it's everything has a risk profile. You just kind of need to be educated and empowered enough to, like, understand what that risk profile is, what is the benefit, and that's on you. Like, it's not on anyone else. Um, but the issue is all gets muddy is, you know, recommendations and mandates and things like that. Um, and that's where you, you do have to be a little persistent um, and be more educated and, and be willing to, again, you're just taking another risk there if, if you go against something, which isn't a good or bad thing necessarily. It's all on your plate to decide. So I think maybe that's, uh, you know, something we'll have to link these, you know, in the in the notes or somewhere. Maybe I'll put them in my newsletter too or, or somewhere for you guys to read so we don't get get banned here because we're just kind of talking at uh you know freely about you being empowered to make your own decision but going back to the amish the amish what do you think the amish do so right ryan that we should be envious and striving to be more like that it's funny because i feel like the more and more you sort of get into the weeds the simpler uh the simpler the the concepts are maybe the nuances are complex, but it just from an observational standpoint, like if this is observational science, like we live completely different lives than anyone who is Amish. Um, and I'm cutting out the entire religious aspect of it. If we remove that entirely, we still live completely different lives than anyone in the Amish community. They're so one, they're so in touch with nature. I mean, they're outside all day long. They work hard labor jobs like many people did pre like 1960s um, and they eat real food. I mean, these are all, these are all things that we talk about all the time, but they actually put into practice as part of their culture on a daily basis. And like I said, they have limited tech. Um, most of them depends on sort of the sect that you're in, but a lot of them as far uh, the more kind of deeper, deeper serious ones have very limited technology. Um, and so not zero, like practically native, non-native EMF. And so their entire lifestyle revolves around how nature uh, is reflected. Um, like that, like they wake up with the sun, they go to bed probably with the, with this like sundown because they don't have electric light bulbs uh, depending on the sect. And so they, they just live a completely natural life. Um, only thing I would criticize is like, I feel like they need some more skin outside they're, they're super covered up, but that goes back to like, of course, the religious context, which is not really what we're talking about today. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the holistic kind of view of what they do. And it's, it's way more, it's way more simplistic. It's way more in tune with nature. Like you're saying it's, yeah, it's pretty basic actually. Um, no artificial lighting, right? Like that's huge, you know? So their circadian rhythms are, are pretty optimized, uh, because yeah, they don't, they got their famous like fire pits or whatever, you know, electric electricity free. Um, and that's probably the only other source, you know, candles, fire, um, things that they have at night when the sun goes down and, and that's really high and, you know, the near, uh, red infrared red spectrum, which is not going to suppress melatonin production, uh, at the severity of blue light. Um, you know, this magnitude is less. I think there's still like a very minor 
um, melatonin suppression from red and near infrared, but it's like, you know, magnitudes difference compared to blue light. Um, and you know, so they're getting restorative sleep, which is imperative for, you know, staving off chronic disease for recovery, for cell repair, for autophagy, for all these things. Um, you know, they have a very optimized circadian rhythm, like straight up, they don't travel anywhere. They're not taking transcontinental flights. They're not ever exposed to artificial light, except when they drive on the highway with their horse and buggy and maybe get blasted by a 2022 trucks, high beams. But again, they're not really doing that too much at nighttime. So probably not so bad. And that's like one off. So right there, that's like foundational for me because we know how important like circadian health is um, in terms of like optimal health and staving off that chronic disease because so many biological functions are cascaded down from the input signal, which is light. Um, and, and that all comes back to, you know, like I said, like melatonin and sleep and, and just the, the cyclical rhythm of our bodies. But then, you know, probably the best part about the Amish, in my opinion, is the food they raise. It's like super high quality. I mean, Amos Miller is probably the most famous Amish farmer. Um, the FBI knows him very well because they've tried to like shut him down and, uh, you know, kind of censor him for a very long time because he has like the best like raw dairy and, and pasture raised meats um, in this country. And, and he's just in Pennsylvania and he somehow gets around these loopholes, I think, and sells across state lines with like a membership. So props to Amos Miller. If you're in the, you know, tri-state area of like Pennsylvania, you should definitely go check him out. But yeah, really nutrient dense foods, you know, animal products, high quality produce, and what my sister said, you know, the other yesterday, which really resonating with me is she's like, just look around, Tristan, like, you know, we have a nice plot here. If we grow all this stuff, you know, what happens when our neighbors, just all of our neighbors are just spraying Roundup and whatever herbicides like that's going to inherently like get into our land and our soil and our food. Like it's kind of unavoidable. Um, so what's really nice about the Amish is they have a very, you know, secluded allotment of land and they're all what you would call organic which is really way more than organic from the usda's perspective it's it's just all natural it's no spray no you know no interruption but it's a whole ecosystem so they don't have to worry about like the cross-contamination of, of their neighbors so it really is like uh an unadulterated way of raising food so it's very low toxin. I would say, and, and super high in nutrient density. And, and just imagine like Stefan von Flee was saying, right? Like, you know, and, and Josh Rayner, you know, you know, the nutrients in X apple, well, what apple, you know, what apple is it? Is it the apple that the Amish grew? Is it the apple that, you know, is at Walmart? Because I bet you the nutrient content in those two apples is drastically different. Yeah. And you'll notice too, like uh, the size, I mean, we've talked about this before in the podcast, but it's, it's the size of, if you go foraging, you'll notice the size of things like berries are smaller than stuff you'll see at the store. Um, but the nutrient content actually might be higher, in fact, depending on the soil, um, just because the soils that they grow a lot of these mass-produced like fruits on are, are depleted, and they use all these fertilizers and all this stuff just to keep it going. And so they've basically genetically modified these foods to make them larger. So like a blueberry isn't a blueberry even if it's larger, it may have the same nutritional content as a smaller blueberry you buy that's organic or even less at the store. And I think one of the things you mentioned that was really important with uh, the way the Amish live is 
what makes it easy for them is that it's 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 bred into their nature from birth whereas what makes it complicated for folks like you and me or people listening is we've grown up a certain way and it's even worse for or harder for people growing up right now that are children and growing up with more and more tech because I feel like it's even harder to get off and create all these like sort of separations and stuff but we live in a time where they don't have to reverse engineer how to live because they've just been doing it. Whereas if we want to live optimally, we have to reverse engineer almost everything about the social structure of our lives. And it's this really big endeavor because even though the concepts may be simple, getting there, and we talk about this too. I mean, you're looking for land and all this stuff and trying to look for a place to like put down some roots and all. It's, it's a lot more work than, than just if you grew up in it. And it's sort of like second nature. And if I, I've had conversations at farm stands when I've visited, uh, like I mentioned earlier, my grandparents' cabin, there's a lot of Amish folk up in northern Michigan. Uh, we would go to Amish stands because the food, like you mentioned, I always noticed it tasted way better. Um, so we'd go to Amish stands and I would talk to them about just, just their way of life. And they really have a hard time conceptualizing like the crazy things we do every day, um, what they consider crazy and it's just secondhand to them. So it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. It's like, we have to go out of our way to make things optimal for ourselves. Like even with our sleep, um, people will talk about sleep, I'm sure, cause that's one of our pillars. Um, but it's not as easy as just getting a solid seven, eight hours. When you live in an environment like this, like I'm in a city that has 300 freaking towers in my whatever small square radius, um, you're, you're really set up for failure. And so you have to go out of your way to make it as optimal as possible, which is really, really hard uh, because that's where most people tend to live is in cities now. So it's uh, maybe we can kind of talk about some of those things unless you have some exterior thoughts. But uh, it's sort of that complexity that I think makes people, it's hard to get them in, in the door. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's ingrained in their culture and their community, right? And that's the other thing, right? Like they already I think you said, you know, the religion aspect, right? Like we don't need to go into, but the sense of community is huge. It is undeniably probably the most underrated aspect of, of health is health is, is that community that's strong, you know, family bond, strong community bond. And especially because everything you just said, right? Like you're basically almost like alienating yourself from your current social structure and, you know, the people you're friends with and your family, like, and it's really intimidating and can be really isolating when you do that. So it, it is really challenging, uh, especially if you didn't grow up in, you know, a rural setting or, or Amish, of course. Um, so I would say that's something that's, you know, not talked about enough. But I think we've been trying to do a good job on, on laying the bricks of foundation on, on why community is so important, um, especially for, for longevity in you know, more decentralized life because you're not going to be able to do everything yourself and things are going to come up. But yeah, you know, it's this conditioning that we have. And the problem really with it is each generation, like you're saying, that goes by, um, it's just accelerating, right? Like the amount of tech, the amount of non-native EMF exposure, the amount of toxins. This is all to me, it's a environmental toxin threshold. And the more you're exposed, the sooner you're going to be in, you know, a chronically inflamed, high risk of chronic disease state. And guess what? You know, when our parents were being raised, 
obviously there's a spectrum, but they weren't exposed probably to as many toxins as we are today. Like it's only accelerating. And then, you know, with the tech explosion um, and just the amount of time spent on screens, ruining, you know, neurotransmitters, the amount of prescription medications. I mean, you know, going back to the vaccines thing, whether you believe in them or not, like the amount of vaccines that are like recommended and basically mandated uh, unofficially nowadays is uh, it's like triple like what uh, when we were babies and it's like double from there. You know, is that really it? And is that what's going to put you over the edge? Maybe. Does that mean it's the only cause? There's no like singular cause of anything. It's all multifactorial. It's just what push you over that threshold to give you autism or give, give you a chronic, you know, disease like cancer or diabetes or Alzheimer's. Like it's all an accumulation, right? And you can go down the list. And this is why, you know, listing out the things I'm sure it's like clothing, right? Like toxins in our clothing, toxins in our cookware, like, you know, all these PFAs, Teflon, personal care products, you know, phthalates, sulfates, in our foods, nitrates, preservatives, you know, just natural flavors and all of these things, our water, our air we breathe, um, you know, you go down the list, non-native EMFs, um, it's, it's crazy the amount of toxins that we're exposed to on a, on a daily basis, right? And for me, you know, health is just... What you know, we just need to become more resilient because we're never gonna ever get rid of all these. Like it's it's impossible, um, and we just need you know. There's a battle going on in our body every single day, so you can choose, right? Are you gonna try and train the soldiers that are defending your cells, which would be you know working on optimizing your health and also mitigating you know the exposure or are you just going to be adding, you know, fuel to the fire of like the opposing side and then pretty much just opening the floodgates? And and that's what it's all about to me. It, it's kind of just like this raging battle that we're ultimately always going to lose. But how strong can you, you know, put up a fight over the decades of your life? Yeah. And I'm one of those people, too. Um, I kind of want to go back to community for two seconds in a, in a moment. But I'm one of those people where, like, I really don't believe that there are excuses for taking action because i feel like it's very easy for people like all those things you just kind of listed off it's very easy for someone to say man like i heard all this stuff like you just mentioned i guess i'm not going to do anything because i'm screwed no matter what i do um and that's really where it goes back to being on you like you literally no one is responsible for your health no doctor no therapist no psychiatrist no physical therapist is responsible for, for your health at the end of the day. Um, it's kind of on you to take initiative and start you know, doing things to mitigate. And actually, you posted a really good story earlier today where someone was asking about how much grounding do you need? And they asked, like, is it 20 minutes? And you were like, basically, any one minute that you do is better than no minutes. And so we had a really good stu- uh, discussion on a podcast that's going to be upcoming with Dr. Stephen Hussey, who specializes in heart health, but we talked a lot about grounding and light and all that, stuff, all that stuff on there. And he was also saying like, you know, doing a little is better than doing nothing. And so I think that's a good place to start is like, just start doing anything. Um, so I think that's, that's one of those things. And back to sort of community is, um, 
I just, we live in such a weird time where so much of people's community is online um, or so-called community is just online and we don't even know our neighbors. Um, I don't really know my neighbors here, but it's like, it's like, that's why I think like you're going to farmer's markets, you're meeting other farmers. It's, it's getting to know those people that I think are valuable. But I, I just find it interesting that I feel like in such a connected world or, you know, quote, connected world, we're so disconnected from our local community. And I think that in and of itself, like you mentioned, as you age, is so critical for longevity. I mean, I know so many uh, old folks, I mean, even my grandparents, where it's like I'm trying to keep them in their own home as long as possible because they have friends and neighbors and all these things that I think help keep them alive um, and putting them in a facility where they're basically spoon fed is like, it just teaches their body to be not resilient at all. And so the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. So true in so many facets of our health, not just things like exercise. So all these things translate to a web of, of what health is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, totally. It's, it's, uh, you know, you can just prioritize like what you think is reasonable to accomplish, right? Like, again, it's all on you and some of these toxins that we'll maybe dive into a bit more. Um, and is like, it, it's on your own plate, right? Like I'm not telling you, you have to move out of the city, but I'm telling you, if you did, you'd probably feel better. If you go outside more often, you're going to feel better. If you switch all your cookware and your clothing to more natural materials, there's an inherent fact that you will have less toxins accumulating in your body, which you may not feel anything, but you may have a peace of mind uh, that'll put you in a less stressed out state, or you may get stressed out more from just switching all this shit over. But in the long run, it could prevent you from maybe having a chronic disease uh, at age 70 instead of 61 or 65. I don't know. Like I'm just making stuff up because we don't know, but you can only do to the best of your knowledge and your ability. So don't strive for perfection. Just strive for improvements and you can make massive improvements by doing very small things and, you know, chipping away at them. It's not like all this happened overnight for us. It's been like four or five years. In Hell, I'm still, I'm and, still working uh, yeah. <laughs> like every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. So it's, it's a continue continuous progression, but yeah, the community thing is, it's so big. And, and I, I th I've been thinking about this way more. It's just being out in Wyoming and yeah, I mean, most of my quote unquote like-minded friends are, yeah, they're online, but to be honest, I, I just value in-person connection like so much more. And, uh, I, I, unless I've met someone in person, like I almost really don't consider them like an actual friend because it's just, it, it's just not real. Like, and half, you know, on Twitter, it's way more like anonymous people. And I'm like, yeah, like all these people are, you know, you guys are cool. Great. Totally resonating. But I don't have a real connection with you unless I've seen your face, at least a face to face, like video chat, or we've met in person. And the people that I have met in person, friends from online, we're, you know, we're good friends and, you know, that connection is so much stronger. So I would implore you all to try and get out. And I know that's why I try and do meetups, uh, run like Wyoming Bitcoin meetups. And I want to do more meetups in the future 
you know, maybe some men's retreats or, um, you know, some hiking stuff. I think it'd be really cool. I think it's empowering when you get this sort of stuff in person and you have some camaraderie, especially from the male perspective, it's huge. So again, do that, but also like you're saying, value the wisdom of, of the elders in your community. I mean, there's so much and wisdom and knowledge and yeah, some things they might be behind on, but guess what? There's going to be other things, usually things that aren't taught to us anymore um, that they know like the back of their hands and you can tap into. And, you know, it's really a shame to think about all the knowledge and wisdom that just dies generation on generation. And, uh, you know, from a civilization perspective, that's even, you know, happened and languages have been completely lost and it's tragic. So what are you going to do? And guess what? They might have land for you. They might have, you know, apprenticeship, like just help them out. They might pay you in me. They might just pay you in knowledge, like one hour a week. Yeah. I mean, actually it's funny. You, you mentioned that thing about sort of uh, taking knowledge generationally, because I feel like we live in, one of the first times in, in history of our race where we sort of look down on elderly people as sort of like burdens of burdens of fate. Uh, because pretty much in, in all of human history up until maybe very recently in last 100 whatever years, um, they were like the premier, like those were the folks you wanted to talk to. Like those were, those were the cream, like th- those were the people that had all the knowledge. And now it's sort of like, I feel bad because I, I see it in my own family and I see it in, in other people's families of just like, we look at elderly people as like a burden on society. We look at them as like, sort of like, ah, uh, like an obligation. We got to visit them. We got to listen to their dumb stories about them doing this thing in 1946, three times. I've heard it a hundred times, but I love those stories. And I know my grandpa's going to be listening to this one. Um, and he might be listening to it right now, but I really appreciate hearing those a lot of those values because i feel like i don't know just not a lot of that is instilled i feel like now it's it's sort of uh it's an interesting time to live um and and it's interesting to see how much stuff i feel like we have backwards in in the way we should be living and that comes back to like the amish and stuff like that um i feel like they still respect that that part of life yeah i I 100 agree and i think it's like it's, it's on both sides. I think it's because we have this immense access to information and knowledge. Now it's like, you know, we don't need the elderly to like educate us as much as, you know, in previous, uh, you know, societies and generations and in years past, they were kind of like, you know, they were the shaman, they were the, the expert, you know, you would go to them for, for recommendations, but we don't really have that kind of role anymore, which is a shame. Um, but you know, it's also something we, we need to, you know, strive to continue because there are folks out there that are like that. They're kind of like hidden gems, but there's still always value. And if you put value into them, they will, you know, provide otherwise, you know, that's just, it's just going to be lost. So hundred percent agree, but yeah, back to, you know, the Amish and what else we wanted to talk about, right. It's like, you know, the Amish embody like a very like holistic, uh, practicing community of, of health and you know what's often debated and what's often very siloed in health is kind of what's most important what's the 80 20 what's going to move the needle the most and a lot of people dial this down they call it like pillars of health and you know you have 
gurus in every facet. You got diet gurus, you have exercise gurus, sleep gurus, even light gurus. You got plenty of those now. And uh, in reality, and we got liver gurus, steroid gurus. And uh, yeah, I mean, in reality, it's holistic, right? Like holistic health means entire whole picture, right? So anyone who tells you that X is most important or X is like, I should say X is like all you need to worry about, then, you know, they're wrong straight up. Um, But there are things that are probably more important than others. And, you know, we can kind of maybe get into that right now. So I'm curious where you stand currently, Ryan, and and we don't need to put any like numbers or specifics to this, but um, yeah, what, what do you... I'm of the believer right now, like one of the major things that has been, I think my struggle, well, there's, it's sort of twofold. I feel like getting outdoors in nature is very, I feel like when people hear it, they're like, oh, that sounds great and stuff like that. But I feel like it's way more important to overall health than, than you think, um, because it affects so many facets of it, like it affects your sleep. Like the the more you're inside uh, under artificial light, like the the worse your sleep's probably going to be. Um, being surrounded by not named EMF because you don't ever go into nature, or go outside of the city, um, is is also could be damaging to sleep. So like I I, wa- I wanted to say like sleep, but there are so many things that affect sleep, and and really it's sort of like the the disconnection. I think is probably the most important uh factor it's it, to me it's like nature is one of my pillars and i feel like to me it's one of my most important maybe the most important because it's the most difficult to get to um on a daily basis when you like if you live in new york city like you got to drive or if you live in la like you really got to drive um so it's it's one of the hardest for me to achieve but i mean you can do little steps like i go outside like i'm outside right now take meetings outside do work outside. You're not necessarily in nature per se, but you're also not indoors surrounded by, you know, musty filters or all the stuff that could be in your wall or like all this crap that you're surrounded by inside. So it's sort of these little steps. But I feel like that's one of the, my biggest fundamentals is getting out in nature and taking advantage of something you're famous for, taking advantage of your weekends and, and getting completely away and disconnecting from tech and all that stuff. So I think nature is my big one. Yeah. See, I think it's a trick question overall because like there is no pillars actually because a pillar could be freestanding on its own. And guess what? None of these things are freestanding on their own. They're all interconnected. It's probably more of like a web that, you know, if you cut one side, it cuts, you know, one side of, of multiple things. Right. And it could stand on, you know, less than one leg or sorry, less than, you know, three or four uh, strings or or connections, but eventually it's all going to come tumbling down. So that's exactly what you're saying, right? Like, you know, talk about circadian health. You know, what does that even mean? That that's everything to do with like our body's rhythm. So inherently, you know, what's the input to that is, is light probably primarily, but also food, uh, exercise and what's, you know, enough downstream effect is, you know, the quality of your sleep, right. And sleep times and consistent 
wake and, and fall times, that's also an input. So it's all interconnected. The reason why diet and exercise have been touted as kind of like the 80-20 of health, like you can make 80% of the progress if you just dial in diet and exercise, um, it's because it's doable, right? Like it's really hard. So if you took someone, let's say you take someone who's in New York City, like a fifth story high rise, and they eat processed foods, they are an artificial light all day, they're never connected, you know, drinking tons of alcohol or whatever. They're just living like the complete antithesis of health in terms of a lifestyle. If you clean up their diet and, you know, get them maybe on somewhat of a, a, a sleep schedule that's at least regular, guess what that's doing? Okay, improving nutrient uptake. It's improving your circadian rhythm by inherently just like having a set time. And even though that artificial light environment is terrible, they're inherently going to make progress. That's probably very, very substantial. And guess what? That's very doable for them because are you going to tell someone who lives in a fifth story New York high rise to just, okay, no artificial light. Like you need to be out in nature all the time. Like it's just not, it's not going to happen. Like there's no chance they're going to do that. But if you took someone like two people in the same place with like a clean slate and they would 100% commit to anything, then yeah, I mean, you could for sure argue that, you know, your light environment or I guess what you want to just call like your circadian health is probably just as much or if not more important than, you know, diet and exercise. And why is that? Because just think about like sleep in general. Um, you could probably go you know, a couple of days of eating like average food or like not so great food. I mean, it depends, right? Um, and not exercising, at, you know, super hard. But if you get like one night of sleep, that's like three hours less than what you'd normally do. You're you're wrecked. Like you you can't function really well. If you tra how about jet jet lag is an example, right? If you travel eight hours um, or switch time zones by eight hours, your whole circadian rhythm is messed up. And just think of how you feel when you get there and you, you can eat all the good food and, and you can start exercising, right? But your circadian health is totally dysfunctional from traveling. So that's why, you know, I think that probably supersedes everything, but it's very contextual and it's very, you know, multifactorial in terms of the inputs, right? Like it's not just light. Light is very important. But it's everything. It's, uh, you know, everything. Which yeah, I think the problem is the way, I mean, the other thing with diet and exercise that makes it so consumable, I think, is that it's marketable and it's sellable. Like you can sell fitness things, fitness programs, you can sell food and sort of like dietary supplements and all these things are very marketable. Uh, whereas some things are just like, you can sell the idea of sunlight, I guess, but it's not, it's that you're not making money off selling the sun really. Um, and so it's also just like, just how it's been, like it's, it's been marketed, like exercise has been marketed since like what the, like maybe late seventies and the eighties. And like they had that whole, like sort of cardio movement and then like all these sort of different shifts. So like, these are just things that people are familiar with. So they're the most familiar, the most consumable, um, definitely like one of the most actionable things, but also just you can sell it. And I think part of the problem within sort of the health community is like, like you said, it's like all these things actually are the things that matter. They all matter. 
it's it, there's not necessarily a pillar that's more important than another pillar. Um, but the way the online or the way the world works is you have to you're selling an idea or a physical product and you need a camp. And so people get in these camps. So we have like the light people camp, like you said. We have like the food people camp. We have subgroups in that food people camp. We have just the exercise people um, because they're all trying to market themselves to sell whatever they need to do to make a living. And their information is all good and it's all meaningful, but none of them are the silver bullet um, usually. And so I think that's what makes it kind of complicated for people is that it's just the way it is for us to get the word out. We got to like niche into this community and it, it kind of gets frustrating because people will come to me and be like, I tried this diet and it didn't fix my ex problem. And I'm like, well, you probably had one, two, three, four, five other things going on that X didn't solve all of. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, at the end of the day, all these things matter. When it, I, I think the things where people struggle and it's like you said with the, the circadian balance, because you can mess that up and like you can have one night's uh, one night of really bad sleep can change your entire insulin profile the next day. You could have fine insulin one day, have a terrible nights of sleep or a couple couple nights that are really bad and then your insulin signaling is just could be as bad as a pre-diabetics for like a day or two till you're back on track and it can change your cravings and that affects well, yeah, yeah. Well, on that, like metabolic dysfunction, right? Everyone thinks it's always about diet, but I mean, blue light and non-native EMFs can also impact insulin. Like we know that. We know the voltage potential of your mitochondria is like can dictate um, insulin secretion uh, in in the pancreas. And, you know, what can affect that? Non-native EMFs, light, you know, it's so much more complex and it, it's all important, right? That means that, you need to be thinking about it in a holistic perspective, but yeah, sorry. I just had that. No, no, you're totally right. I mean, like, that's why it's like, I got it. You got to get outside. Yeah, no, I mean like, that's what I'm saying is like all it's, it's actually really hard for me to pick. I mean, when we were talking about the pillars idea, it was like, Oh, easy. Just like sleep, like sleep movement. I mean, usually just like everyone, everyone has the same pillars, like sleep movement, uh, like maybe like toxin load and then like sun, uh, food. Um, and, and stuff like that. But it's like, it's the combination of how those things all work together. So why, that's why I kind of get frustrated when people say like, oh, one thing doesn't matter if you have this other thing. Or like when you hear people say, it's like, oh, your diet doesn't really matter that much as long as you get a lot of the sun. And it's like, I don't know, I could try this experiment, be in the sun a lot and just eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream for three months and then see how my numbers are. They'd probably still be bad. Maybe not as bad, but they wouldn't be good. Um, you know, maybe it'd take longer than three months. I don't know. But you know what I mean? It's never like one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's short-sighted. It's kind of arrogant. Um, but again, it's like everyone's in their own camp and, and everyone has their own niche, right? So they're like hyper fixating on things. And, you know, it's like you got, you got to eat a certain way. You got to move a certain way. You got to go outside a certain way. Like, guess what? If you just eat cleaner, move more go outside more, try to mitigate toxins as best as you can. You're going to be feeling so much better than you are right now. And guess what? It's context dependent. If you're in Costa Rica, you're not eating the same as me. You're not getting the light exposure that I'm getting. You are not probably doing the same movements that I'm doing. You're not climbing mountains. I know that. So 
you need to apply this context in your own realm, but it's so interconnected. I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is like breath, right? I, for a while, I thought that was a, you know, guess what? Oh, breathing. Well, that's, it's pretty easy. Why would you, you know, put that so high? Okay. But you start breathing out of your mouth. You're not going to sleep as well. You're going to be hypoxic. You're going to have, uh, you know, inherently different facial structure. Um, you're not going to be filtering uh, the air as well. So you're not going to be producing nitric oxide um, as you do when you breathe through your nose. Simple, right? Actually very complex. And you're going to be in a more sympathetic state of your nervous system. So you need to look at this whole picture and understand that health is everything. And if you take one thing away, you may not notice. If you take two things away, you might feel less optimal. But the really sick people are the people who are being, you know, just gassed on all fronts of health. You know, they get poor sleep. They eat like shit. Um, they breathe like shit. They don't go outside. Uh, they're exposed to toxins constantly. Um, and then when they change one of those things, they expect to have this miraculous healing which some people do, and that's enough because that's how sick they were. But in general, that's why you see so many plateaus across the board is because they're not using a multifaceted approach. It's like, just go carnivore. Just, you know, move more. Go to the Just go to the gym. It's not that hard. Well, actually, if you're that sick, you probably shouldn't be lifting weights. You should just be going for light walks outside that way you're getting movement plus sun and then you should change your diet and be strict about sleeping toxins and try and breathe better you know it's like i just want to jump in there because you brought up a point that sort of gave me an idea and i think one one they they talk about more than they used to but i think one pillar in in and of itself could just be stress because if you I, we talk about hustle culture a lot at least privately um and we just live in such a in this, in the Western world, at least in the U.S., probably not some. It's a little different in Europe, but um, we live in such a like. I know, like, for my my dad's like the prime example because he he's the epitome of boomer nine to fiver um, lifestyle. Goes to work, gets up, goes to work, is exhausted when he gets home, exhausted, like dead, and he's mega stressed all the time. Thinks about work constantly. Isn't never not working, and you could eat right. You get, I mean, it's hard to get sun when you're working that much, but you could like kind of eat right. And then like maybe, um, I mean, I, my, my, I guess my point with that is if you're chronically stressed, even from like a mental perspective, but you're stuck in a sympathetic state, you really can't do anything. Like you literally have to get out of that first, which is a combination of all these things. But I think work, work life stress is such a under, uh, underappreciated, uh, issue because if you're wired all the time and you're slamming 20 cups of coffee a day or five or six or whatever you need, um, you're never coming down from this cortisol spike that's supposed to kind of meander throughout the day. Um, and so that's like a bit, and that's why I thought that was good that you brought up breath work because these are all ways that you can practice. I think it's actually better to practice going into a sympathetic state and coming out of it in throughout the day. That's real resilience is like going into stress, coming out of stress, going into stress, coming out. But in the beginning, I know it was for me, I had to, I was so mentally stressed. I had to just like get as relaxed as possible. And I just, I, I honestly didn't work 
for like six months just to try and bring myself down. Cause I was so worked out. I literally just like, didn't, I lived with my parents, like just didn't work, uh, didn't do anything for like six months besides just focus on, uh, I did a lot of like breathwork stuff. I did a lot of mindfulness stuff and I was working on my food obviously. Um, but it's something that I find I still can easily get myself back into as a pattern of being in chronic stress. And I think working on that, whether that's through taking pattern breaks throughout the day is a major importance. I wonder if you've noticed that yourself as like being a thing of, of having to like work on stress load after your concussion. Yeah. I mean, totally right. Like if you're trying to heal from something, I think there's two states. It's like folks who really are healing. They're, they're in a healing mode. They're sick. They're not even close to normal function for that. You need to flip the switch in your mind to say, you know, like I'm safe. We can do this. We are able, we are resilient. And that's all about mindset. It's all about, you know, there's actual biological receptors. It's all about external stressors. Because even if you change your mindset, if you're still exposed to the same things, you're the flips, the switch is going to be flipped back on. And that's why, you know, you say, uh, like what, what Jack says is like, you know, you can't heal in the same environment that you got sick in. And that doesn't mean like the physical environment. It means like the actual environment, the stressors that made you sick, you need to turn them off and then you need to work on the internal stressors and the internal switches and make sure those are off and then implement, you know, you know, simultaneously, but, but implement the modalities of lifestyle changes and then you will see profound change, but it's all going to take, you know, a very long uh, time depending how, how sick you were and, and what sort of healing path you need to go down. But then, you know, there's just people who are, you know, they're not really sick. They're just kind of floating along, you know, going, uh, through the motions of average society and, and they're definitely not optimal. They're not even close to optimal, but they can make tremendous strides just from like a few tweaks. And that's why you see that. That's what, Oh, I went like, you know, uh, I did CrossFit and started eating like real foods, like no processed foods. And I just feel great. Yeah. Because you're eating trash and like, you know, not working out, you're going to feel better. It doesn't mean that you can't feel even better. And, uh, yeah, the whole exercise thing to me is like really the exercise piece is huge because it's like to me, as long as you're moving like constantly throughout the day and doing maybe something really physically challenging like a few times a week, um, that's great. Uh, but it's more so like how, the quantity over like the intensity sometimes and, and like I exercise hard. I exercise probably harder than 99% of people, but you don't need to go lift in the gym every day and you're getting some negative consequences by being, you know, in artificial light. Like you could do like an, a, a workout outside that's probably, you know, 50% of the intensity of, in a gym. And that's probably fine. But like, what are your goals? You know, are you trying to achieve things? And we have this false perception around fitness, that fitness is health. It's not true. And muscles are health. There's, there's a diminishing return and it is, the threshold is way sooner than you think. And it's actually what I wanted to bring up is, you know, one of these 
I guess, unofficial bodybuilder bros that I first started following like years ago, Joe Lindner. He just died. Not a surprise, actually, because he was like so lean, obviously, on so many steroids. 30 years old. Like, and guess what? All the gym bros, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. And then another guy's going to die. And then they're going to be sad. And then, you know, when will you learn that the aesthetics of bodybuilding are the antithesis of health? No one looked like that ever. You can be very fit. You can be strong and be very healthy. But, you know, I think there's this whole false perception there. And uh, people put a really hard, you know, strain on themselves to reach these, like, physical goals. And oftentimes, if you dialed back the exercise 20 to 50% and then dialed up the other lifestyle implementations that we've been talking about, you'll make way more progress. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, that, I mean, when you were telling me about that earlier today, it really kind of gave me, it really reminded me like part of my entire problem was like at the time I got sick, like really sick and started developing like neuropathy and all these things was a time of great stress mentally, but also physically. I was going to the gym seven days a week for, uh, you probably wouldn't have thought I did by the way I looked, but that's just because I was never. I was never putting in the other work to actually build muscle either. So I was going to the gym, lifting as heavy as I could for three hours a day, seven days a week. And my nervous system, literally after years of doing this, burnt out and I snapped. Like overnight, I went from like, it started with fatigue. I would sort of get like really tired at like on, in weird times of the day. Like I'd be, I'd be dead by like 8 p.m. I'd be out. I'd be donezo for the day. Um, I actually collapsed one time walking to my apartment after, after work, I got home, I was walking to my apartment from the parking lot and I collapsed from exhaustion. And all I had done was sit all day. Like, so I was already burnt out. And then my mental stress combined with the over-exercise and undernourishment, I was under eating at the time as well, um, was a perfect storm for your body done break. And mine did. And so more isn't always better is what I've learned in any, any facet. It's sort of finding that you got to find that place of where it works for you. And that's where it goes back to the very beginning of this, of this live where I was talking about our goal. One of our goals anyways, is getting you to figure out, okay, what little nuggets here apply to me? Because what Tristan does go climb freaking Mount Everest every Tuesday. Um, I can't do that. I'm just not in that place of resilience. Do I want to be? Yeah. But I got to remember that on my journey, even though me and Tristan are the same age, we have different health histories um, and, and di- we're at different states of health currently. And I, I can push myself more than I have in many years, but I'm not at a place where I can do it every day, uh, nor should, I don't know if anyone should do it every day, but um, it's just, it's, it's easy to play the, the compare game with people that are already at the place you want to be in the end. But not remembering like, oh, I'm way back here and I still got all these little steps to get to to even be maybe even halfway to where this idol of mine is at. And you have to remember that they had this entire journey that may have spanned, who knows, decades to get to where they're at. Like no one became a a professional athlete in a night. Um, But it's easy to look at them and watch them on TV and be like, man, I just need to start running marathons and I'll be good. But it's, it's all about the baby steps and the nuances and, and knowing where you're at. So I think the more you can actually know where your body's at, the more applicable you'll be able to make targeted moves. 
And I think that we're in such a place of disconnection on a high level that we don't even know. Like we go to the doctor and we ask some of these questions and I, I don't even go to the doctor now with 90% of my problems because I know why I feel this way. It's what I did last night or maybe the night before or what I didn't do yesterday. And so we just don't even know how to feel in our own bodies. And so it's about creating this connection. And that's partially through doing all these, this web of stuff that helps you get there. That's my rant, my Ted talk for today. No, no that was great. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> I haven't even, this year has been like a trans, you know, a really big progression step for me in terms of like exercising and it's taken four years to get here. Right. Like mm -hmm. I didn't even start running regularly until like four months ago and, you know, lifting heavy weights first time this year as well, because I just had all these overuse injuries from trying to jump back in too fast. So don't bite off more than you can chew because guess what? You're going to get injured. You're going to get, you know, overwhelmed. You're going to get stressed out. Um, if you make these changes kind of, you know, and obviously if you're trying to swap out like cookware and t-shirts, like send it if you want, like, great. But you're also going to be changing a lot of independent variables in a short period of time. And you, you want to know what worked, what was worth your money, you know, what's more impactful. So don't be overwhelmed that you need to change literally every aspect of your life. Like, prioritize what's important to you, what's achievable for you, have long-term visions. You're like, oh, I can't really move right now. But in a year and a half, if I plan for it, I can. And I can go outside more if I live in this area or, you know, if I carve out X amount of time once this meeting, this weekly meeting ends in five weeks, I can go for a walk and be outside. Um, you know, it's just things like that, you know, thinking ahead, uh, allows you to become more flexible and then ultimately, you know, more resilient, but don't bite off more than you can chew because you'll regret it. Trust me. And yeah, like we are saying, yeah, don't compare yourself to anybody, um, except yourself because we're all in unique situations. And that's why health is holistic, is multifaceted, is unique to you as the individual and yeah, you can get coaches, you can listen to our wisdom, our stories, our experiences. They're great. Take all that information and apply it to your situation and you'll find out kind of what works best for you 